Daniel chapter 6, as we've been going through this uh, wonderful book of, of not only prophecy, which we're actually, when we get into chapter 7, I mean, we're going to be dealing with some very heavy duty prophecies that connect us now to the things that uh, Daniel is, uh, is preparing to teach us. Uh, Daniel 7 and 9 especially, those two main chapters. Of course, all the chapters are important, uh, but these, these two are, are quite significant, especially chapters 7 and 9. So uh, read up ahead, and then we'll, we're going to deal uh, with those uh, themes when we get there. But chapter 6... We're familiar with, uh, if you grew up in the church as, as a kid, you know, you probably were taught on a, on a felt board about Daniel in the lion's den. And uh, if you weren't brought up, at some point in time, you probably heard about Daniel in the lion's den. Well, that's what uh, chapter we're dealing with this evening. Daniel has spent a number of years serving under two Babylonian kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. That spanned a number of years uh, putting Daniel in his early 80s when he finally serves Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And while Belshazzar did not reign as long as Nebuchadnezzar did, it, it brought more age to, <laughs> to Daniel when Belshazzar just loses the kingdom without a major fight to the Medo-Persians who had been laying siege around ba- uh, the city of Babylon for a number of months when they finally came in through the, the, the water system into Babylon, they just took over. Belshazzar was removed from power. And a new king reigned in, in, in Babylon. And his name, we're given at the end of chapter 5, was Darius. Interesting person, Darius. We're going to learn a little bit about him, just just briefly, because really the focus comes back to Daniel in this chapter. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 in our text, and, and we'll begin with this. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. Princes or satraps, as, as some of your translations may have. And over these three presidents, here a president, well, well, we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, of whom Daniel was first. And that's interesting that Daniel would be the first because had they heard of Daniel before or were they hearing about Daniel and a little time has elapsed now uh, where Darius realizes what has taken place, what has happened through this person who is a Hebrew and so... Somehow, Daniel has impressed 
Darius. And so it was over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. So the 120 princes or satraps would report to three uh, presidents, as it were, so about 40 to each one. 40 uh, princes were under one and 40 under another and 40 under another. Daniel being one of them, and he's actually called the first. And then this Daniel was preferred above the princes or the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now think about that. The king thought to set him, set him over the whole thing. You take care of everything. It sounds a lot like Joseph, doesn't it? When Joseph was in Egypt. Both Daniel and Joseph had a similar heart, didn't they? They had a heart toward God. They were men after God's own heart. They knew that God was with them no matter what they were facing. And both of them faced a lot of stuff from the people that they were under. But then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no occasion nor fall. They couldn't, they couldn't find anything. He wasn't a corrupt person. All the other guys probably were corrupt, but he wasn't. He was a man after God's heart. He did what God wanted him to do. And he was honest. He was, he was uh, blameless. Second part of verse 4 says, For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. How, how similar to Joseph again. We see Daniel being and then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So that's the setup for our study this evening. Well, the historicity of the book of Daniel has long been questioned by critics. And one of the things that they have challenged the most has been in reference to this person of Darius, called Darius the Median in chapter 5, verse 31, and primarily because there is no historical evidence outside of the Hebrew Scriptures for his reign. So a lot of people would say, well, you know, there's no mention in any of the historical documents, uh, things about uh, Darius at all. By the way, the name Darius is, is the name Dariavesh. Dariavesh is, is actually the Hebrew or Aramaic rendering, because remember, this is an Aramaic. Uh, but uh, the name is very similar, Dariavesh. And he could have been another name for Cyrus. And some people think that uh, Darius and Cyrus are really the same person. And you might even consider it at the last verse of this chapter that we're studying tonight, in Daniel 6, verse 28, it says, So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, or Dariavesh, and in, in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I put even in, because that's more uh, of, of what it says. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, and, uh, even in the reign of Syria, or Cyrus the Persian. So some people think because of this particular verse that this is the same person. Now, kings often had different names in various parts of their realm. So in one place of their realm they would have been named one thing, they would have been named another in another area. 
But consider another thing that they, they consider Darius to be, you know, those that are trying to find out whether this person really existed or not. Darius may have been Cambuses, the son of Cyrus, who served as a ruler of Babylon under his father and later inherited the throne. Well, Cambuses is a, is a, is, is a uh, historical person, or, or Cambises, as, uh, depending on how you pronounce the one letter Y. But uh, it, he could have been that person, but more than likely, and I, and I believe this, that Darius was an official known in historical documents of his time as Gubaru or Ugbaru. Now, those, that's a historic name, and I think that we're going to run into it even in Scripture. And because of that name, we also realize, and I think I mentioned it last time, that there was, there was a connection to the person who was leading the armies of Med- the Medo-Persians into the, um, into the fortress of, of the city of Babylon. This uh, Gubaru or Ugbaru, whom, whom Cyrus had appointed as ruler over Babylon, immediately after its, his capture, may have had a name, Dariavesh, which actually would have been a title. And the title was Holder of the Scepter. Holder of the Scepter. So more than likely, this Ugbaru or Gubaru is Daniel. But as we get into this account, Dariavesh or Darius reorganized the, the newly conquered kingdom of Babylon as his first major responsibility. And of course, we know that in, in a couple of ways. We know that certainly by the different kinds of leadership that we see in, in Nebuchadnezzar as opposed to, uh, to Darius. Nebuchadnezzar was one who ruled with great authority and he could change his mind at any time and he could do whatever he wanted at any time. But the Medo-Persians had a different kind of government. So that kind of government was being established now in this city of Babylon. He appointed 120 princes or satraps to rule over the kingdom and he put them under three presidents. Presidents here means an administrator or a governor or a commissioner. And one of these presidents was Daniel. And his testimony really got around evidently because here's a Hebrew who was a slave living in captivity in Babylon and he's at the very top of the list for a governmental position. Besides, Daniel had extensive experience, and maybe this was again on his resume that uh, Darius had read uh, or had received or had gotten from the people. Because he served 39 years with Nebuchadnezzar and a few more under Belshazzar. And if you remember, with Belshazzar, we don't see Daniel a lot, except toward the end when Belshazzar has his party and the handwriting is written on the wall. And they call Daniel to come. So we don't know how much he did or what he did for Belshazzar, but we know one thing. The stories that were given, the accounts that were given about his service to Nebuchadnezzar were clearly known because of the change that came upon Nebuchadnezzar's life and upon his heart. Let's not uh, forget also that God's hand was upon him and that as a committed follower of the Most High God, he had a most excellent spirit, we're told. A most excellent spirit. Why, why do you think that is? Well, because the Lord's spirit was upon him. Now, folks, this, this is supposed to say something to us. Do you have a most excellent spirit because the spirit of the Lord is upon you? 
Think about the question. It doesn't mean, by the way, with Daniel, it doesn't mean that uh, everything was a bed of roses for Daniel. Because I, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Have you ever had a hassle from other people at work simply because you were promoted above them? Have you ever had a problem from co-workers simply because you're a believer in Jesus Christ? Some of us have. Some of us have actually experienced that. And in some cases, we've experienced both things. We receive a promotion, we give thanks to God, and everybody hates us and hates the God that gave us the promotion. <laughs> it does happen. The question is, how have you responded? How have you responded to the hassles or the problems or the backbiting? How have you responded? How did Daniel respond? That's a good question. You see, God is looking for men and women that he can use to show himself strong, uh, strong, strong through. He wants to show himself strong through us. Like he did with Daniel. Not perfect people, because there aren't any. But those who have a single heart towards God. Daniel had a single heart toward God. Joseph had a single heart toward God. Paul had a single heart toward God. The apostles had a single heart toward God. Moses and Joshua had a single heart before God. And we could go on and on. But think of it like this. God, God is the hand, and we're the baseball glove. I know this is kind of mundane, but just think about it for a minute. God is the hand, and we're the baseball glove, and God is working in us so that He can use us. And when, You know, years and years ago, I, I used to play a little softball. I can't play with these guys anymore. They're just too young and too fast and too, too strong and too pretty. I'm just too old. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> But when I used to play, I, I had bought a glove. We used to do this. Nowadays, they, they tell you that the gloves come already broken in, you know, but in our day, they didn't come in broken in. You had to break it in yourself. So I bought a glove, and I had to work it, work in it, work in it, work it in, work it in. Strap, I used to strap a ball inside of it so it would conform to the image of the ball, right? Some of you guys ever done that? Any, any good baseball players around here? I know you have. Then you used to oil it, right? You used to put that good kind of oil on it to soften the leather, make it more pliable. Then you work it and work it and work it. And, you know. Well, you know, God does the same with us. Think about it. He's conforming us to the image of Jesus. And He uses the Holy Spirit, the oil, to soften us, to make us more pliable flexible, usable. Yes, initially we may be hard, difficult to mold, but if we allow Him, we will conform to fit His hand to be used by Him for His glory. And so here we have Daniel, a senior citizen in his 80s, probably now mid-80s or, or, or even older. But what was he doing? He was continuing to be faithful 
to his God. Did you read verse 4? Then the presidents of princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could, they could find no occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or, or fault found in him. He was faithful. He continued to be faithful at, 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 in his 80s. I, I, I'm, I'm afraid I've talked to many people sometimes, young people, that they, they just seem to get tired. Or worn out of serving God. We can't get worn out. First of all, we shouldn't get worn out because God has given us His Holy Spirit. He's given us His Word. He's given us food. He's given us His strength. He's given us His presence. He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness through Jesus Christ. What, what else do we want? What else do we need? Daniel was faithful to his God late and late and later in his life. And once again being chosen to administer in a pagan kingdom. We never give Daniel a hard time for that. Well, there's a good reason. He just happened to be where he was because that's where God put him. Children of Israel were disobedient, and Daniel was not, but he went with the children of, of Israel in captivity to Babylon, but there he was, and God raised him up, and God used him. The same with Joseph. Became a slave, was mistreated by his own family. Everywhere he went, you know, there was always some kind of target on him, but you know, God was with him, and he remained faithful through the many years that he served the Lord. Being faithful, I believe, truly is the key here. Because in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, Paul says, Moreover, it is required in stewards, those who are, who are given a, a managerial oversight over the things that God has given us. That means every one of us. Uh, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. A man needs to be faithful. A woman needs to be faithful who is a believer in Jesus Christ. Peter, in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation or your conduct honest among the Gentiles. Because the Gentiles are looking at you, you know, the, the unbeliever in, in essence. That wherever, or I should say that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. This has happened with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not really sure that it happened with Belshazzar, but it, it's going to happen with Darius. The question is this. Are you so devoted to the Lord that the only place to attack is your faith? Think about the question. Are you so devoted to the Lord that the only thing to attack is your faith? The only thing or the only place in your life that can be attacked is your faith. Can you or are you so devoted to the Lord that way? Because people are always looking to see what they can attack on you. Your character, your impatience, your foul mouth, which you shouldn't have as believers in Jesus Christ. Do you understand where I'm going with this? So Daniel becomes that example of how we are to live our lives faithful unto God. 
Let's go on because of time. Daniel 6, verse 6. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said unto him, King Darius, live forever, like if they really thought about that. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. In other words, whoever shall be asking or praying to, a, to a, any other god or anybody for 30 days, except unto you, if they're doing it to everybody else, then he shall be cast into a den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, uh, Persians which, which altereth not and never changes. You know, they, they write a law, man, it, it doesn't change. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, that, it's interesting to me that he does this. I do not believe in this passage here that Daniel is there. It's because they want to get at Daniel. And yet the the king still, who has already decided that he would like to have Daniel be the one to oversee the whole kingdom, still writes his decree. Interesting, isn't it? Well, you'll see why in just a moment. Because when we're told in verse 6 that these satraps and administrators assemble together before the king, that, that little phrase, assemble together, they, they actually came in haste. They came with a lot of commotion and uproar. Tumult, as, as, as some have said. They come tumultuously before Darius. These men were agitated and in a hurry to put Daniel down. They didn't want him around. They were obviously politicians. They knew that Daniel could not be trapped into doing anything evil or against his God and he would be faithful to God in every circumstance. Now conversely, they approached Darius in the area of any, uh, in the area any king or any person for that matter struggles in. This is how they approached Darius. To deal with his pride. To build up his pride about himself. Oh, Darius, listen, let's have a decree so that if anyone is, is asking any petitions to a god or to any other man except for you, then they need to be killed. They need to be executed. You're the man, Darius. You're, you're, the, you're the king. You're numero uno. They told the king to make a decree that the king was the only one to be consulted and worshipped. For a period of 30 days. Why 30 days? Why not forever? Because they felt like within 30 days they'd get rid of Daniel. And that's it. After that then they could find a way to try to attack Darius himself. And one of them become king. Because they're politicians. And the penalty for not obeying was being tossed into a lion's den. And so in stating this to the king they also lied. They lied. Look at verse, you know, that same verse, verse, uh, what was it? Verse 7. It says all. They, they're, they're saying to him, all of us, all of us. Really? 
Daniel didn't agree with them. So they lied. It was a foolish decree to sign into law. And yet the king succumbed to this flattery. How careful we need to be when people try to puff us up. Ruffle, in, in, in a sense, uh, expand our feathers, you know. you know. What is it that birds do to attract other birds? You know, they got the feathers coming out, you know. Really? When we're told in the scriptures very clearly that we need to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and it's God who will lift us up. If you remember the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar had absolute authority. He could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. But you see, the Medo-Persian Empire was a constitutional government, which made them actually inferior in that point to the Babylonians. And again, we saw that in what? We saw that in the statue of chapter 2. We saw that in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold, gold being the, the, you know, the most precious uh, uh, metal at the time, and then, of course, right under that was a chest of silver. Silver was not as uh, valuable as, as gold. So there's a connection with that, you know. Each kingdom that came after Babylon was less than the kingdom it followed. So, when something was signed into law, it remained law and could not be changed, even by the king. That's gotten to really tie in your hands, isn't it? If you make a foolish law, you have shown yourself the greater fool. And notice what happens in verses 10 and 11. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. Now this is first of all Daniel, what we're going to see about Daniel. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, obviously knew what they were doing it for. What did Daniel do? He went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day. And he prayed. He went against the law. And he gave thanks before his God. As he did aforetime, as he, as he always did. And then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Why 30 days? It only would have taken Daniel one day to get, before, get on his knees. Right? Have you ever considered prayer a matter of life and death? Have you ever considered prayer a matter of life and death? Is it a matter of life and death for you? I can tell you this, it is surely a, for our brothers and sisters in various parts of the Middle East today. Prayer is a matter of life and death to whom they pray. And it's a matter of life and death if we're praying for them or not praying for them. Prayer is a matter of life and death. It was for Daniel every day. Especially after this decree was signed. And there was no way that Daniel could hide or, or even would hide his faith. 
Daniel wouldn't hide his faith for 30 days. I can tell you this, Daniel probably didn't even hide his faith for 30 minutes. He couldn't even go for a day or even a third of a day. There was never even a thought to compromise for the sake of comfort and safety. Not even a thought. Daniel wouldn't have said, it's only 30 days, I'll wait. It's only 30 days. God will understand. Have you ever said that? When you decide that you're going to get off the path a little bit and go this way, and uh, it's, it's only, you know, God will understand. Or he could have said, I'll just shut my windows and pray in my closet. They'll never see me or hear me. What did he do? He opened the windows, especially the windows that pointed to Jerusalem. And I wouldn't even doubt that Daniel, when he had the opportunity to get himself an architect, probably had told him, make sure the window's open to Jerusalem, right? Or Daniel could have said this, if they catch me on my knees, I'll tell them I lost my contact. Daniel continued doing what he always did. Christian, do you continue doing what you always do as a believer in Jesus Christ? He bent his knees before the Lord God of Israel, signifying that he was bending his heart to the only King of kings and Lord of lords. When you bend your knee, you are signifying that your heart is bent to the God of creation. He faced toward Jerusalem for he knew the petition of Solomon from the Scriptures, the petition that Solomon once laid before in in 1 Kings 8.30, Hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel when they shall pray toward this place. He's speaking of Jerusalem. He's speaking of Jerusalem. And hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place. And when thou hearest, forgive. Daniel again prayed three times a day, we're told, because of his knowledge of the Scriptures. Because he knew the Word of God. He knew the words of of the psalmist who said in Psalm 55, verse 16 and 17, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me evening and morning and at noon. Three times will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. He heard a decree that said if you pray toward any God or any man or ask petitions of them, you are breaking the law. And Daniel chose to break the law. Because you see, we should never forget the words of Peter in Acts 5.29 when Peter said, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. And in essence, he was praying, he was, he was obeying the commandments of the Lord. Thou shalt have no other God before me. And we are to call upon the Lord. 
petition Him and Him only. But I have to say, I have to say that their plan worked beautifully for them. Daniel was caught, as I said, breaking the law. He was, he was praying, praying, breaking the law, praying. I, I read something on the internet the other day. Some lady was, was uh, either arrested or, or, or detained because she was praying too loud in the street. You know, Interesting. I think she was a pastor's wife. Pastor's wife, pray loud. Oh, no. Even today we have people watching us, don't we? We have the PC police. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Where we pray, where we worship, where we read the scriptures. Maybe they're watching on live stream. Hi. We're praying unto the Lord God. We serve him and him alone. So go tell that to your congressman. Even to the extent of changing the laws to suit their objections to anything related to the Lord, to Jesus, to the Bible, and to Christianity. I guess things haven't changed much. Have they? They haven't changed much. Verse 12. And they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Didn't you, didn't you sign this petition? As if he was the one who created the petition, which he wasn't. They were the ones. And it says, the king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. And then answered they and said before the king, that Daniel. No, just remember that phrase. That Daniel. Remember it that way. Because that's how they meant it. That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. And then the king... Now, now stop there for a moment before we read this. You'll read it in a minute. Remember when, when the, uh, the three Hebrew young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the names that were given, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Eh, gotcha. When they were told that they weren't supposed to, they, they were they were supposed to bow down to the golden image that was that was made by Nebuchadnezzar. That when they came and told Nebuchadnezzar how angry he was with them. But in this case, it's different because it says, "And the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself, with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him." And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He did everything he could. He, he, he tried to get together with all these princes and satraps and presidents and counselors and whatnot. And he did everything. He worked hard, uh, lobbied as it were, you know, with these politicians. 
But they would stand firm. You signed the law, and the law has to remain. Let's stop there for a moment. When the king heard these words, he was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. These guys were going to enjoy this day for a long time. Or so they thought. You can just see how much they hated Daniel by how they said that what they said, right? That, Daniel. But we knew what their heart was already, didn't we? But consider the king. He blew it, and he knew it. He blew it, and he knew it. It wasn't Daniel showing the disrespect. These men had made him the fool by getting him to sign a law that he could not change. What we do see is how much this king loved Daniel. Do you remember at any given time of your life when you did something to the person that you loved, to someone that you, that you respected, that you cared for, and, and how much you regretted what you did or said? Have you ever been there? You don't have to raise your hand, but I know I've been there. And I would have to say all of us at, at some point in time in our lives have been there. Where we've said or done something that has hurt someone or, 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 or entangled someone in something that you didn't expect was going to happen and you've regretted it to this day. By the way, you, you, this is one of those sins that we've given to Jesus and He's forgiven, okay? But understand, we've done it. We've done it. He had nothing against Daniel. In fact, he worked all day trying to get Daniel out of this predicament that he had put Daniel in. He just couldn't find the loopholes because there weren't any in this form of government. So then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king established may be changed. Then the king commanded and they brought Daniel... Notice he has to go with the law. They brought Daniel and they cast him into the den of lions. And now the king spake and he said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. Interesting. You're throwing a man into this den of lions with one expectation only. Then in a very quick moment, he's going to be dead. So just consider him when you're throwing him in, he's already dead. And the den of lions becomes his tomb. And a stone is put over the tomb. And the king sealed it with his own signet, his ring, and with the signet of his lords for confirmation, as it were, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. 
And then the king went to his palace, and he passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. You see, the king had no other choice but to place Daniel into the lion's den. Now when he cries out to Daniel there, when he says to him, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. He really wasn't expressing faith that the God of Daniel would spare him. He didn't know the God of Daniel. But this was a lot of wishful hoping and thinking. Maybe speaking a word into existence. And while the king spent a restless night, because you see, if he really had faith, he wouldn't have spent a restless night, would he have? Daniel, a man of faith, he trusted in the Lord, in the, in the, in the den of lions. And he trusted in the Lord for the, whatever rest he needed in the midst of, hang, uh, of these hungry uh, kitty cats. Because that's what they really were. They were kitty cats. Eventually. At least for a little while they were kitty cats. Daniel trusted in the Lord. Psalm 4 verse 8. This, this, Daniel knew this. He knew the words of David. When David said, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. He knew the words of David. He knew the words of Solomon in Psalm 127, verse 2, where Solomon writes, It is vain for you to rise up early to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. So while Darius has got a sleepless night and Salmonex doesn't even work, Daniel probably, he's probably got a lion there for a pillow. Daniel in that den may have even prayed the words of David in Psalm 22. And by the way, these were words that were reflective also of the passion that Jesus himself went through. But listen, he read a new Psalm 22, verses 21 and 22, Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. That's an interesting thing. I've never seen a real unicorn because there aren't any real unicorns. Why is that, why is that uh, word used here? Just a, a consideration, please. Remember, if you've been to Israel, and I think some of us that were in Israel this, just recently here in, in January, we, we saw some of these, these uh, rams and, and goats that actually, they fight with each other and sometimes they break off their own. So they kind of come around with their own one, <laughs> yeah, one horn thing, unicorn, you see. Sometimes that might be the, the, the reason why it's used. But notice verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. Congregation will I praise thee. So save me from the lion's mouth. 
I remember a prayer that Jesus prayed on the night that he was betrayed. And he prayed it in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the Garden of the Olive Press. If it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. How interesting. Daniel's thrown into a a den of lions as if he were already dead because what was going to happen? He was just going to become lunch for the lions. And a stone was put over that lion's den and sealed. Interesting connections here, aren't there? Let's take notice again of how much Darius loved Daniel. Look at verses 19 and 20. Then the king arose very early in the morning and he went in haste into the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou, who thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? I mean... How is he calling out to Daniel if there's a stone in the way? So there must have been a way to have removed the stone. Just a consideration. How much did he love and respect Daniel enough to run at the crack of dawn in his PJs to, a ro- to, to roll a stone away from the mouth of the open, opening of a lion's den? Sound familiar? crying with a lamentable voice, which means it wasn't a very hopeful voice. Because the worst was expected, for he had no true faith in Daniel's God. And faith is so much necessary in our lives as believers. And we need to have faith that when we say something, you know, that, 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 that when we're, we're looking into a situation, we have to trust the Lord. No matter what happens, we have to trust the Lord and Him only. Hebrews 11, uh, 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So certainly this man ran with his lamentable heart and cried out with a lamentable voice, which means he was just weeping all about it because he was just, you know, he was guilty for what he did. And so we see God's protection for the one who truly believed in Him. Look at verses 21 through 28. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever! And I can imagine Darius, if you will, going, Did I hear somebody? It certainly wasn't the voice of a lion. O king, live forever! My God has sent His angel and has shut the lion's mouths. Who did Nebuchadnezzar see in the fire? One that looked like the Son of Man, who is oftentimes called the angel of the Lord. Yeshua. Jesus. Oh, listen, Darius, my God has sent His angel and has shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocence he was found in me, and also before thee, 
O king, have I done no hurt? Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. Underline that in your Bibles. I wouldn't leave here today until you do. I'll check it at the door. Because he believed in his God. Which means he also believed God wasn't done with him yet. And the king commanded, <laughs> and they brought those men <laughs> which had accused Daniel. That's, that's a good number of men. 120 plus 2. That's 122. At least. And they cast them into the den of lions. Oh, by the way, not only them, but their, their children and their wives. That's pretty much a picture of the coming judgment. And the lions had the mastery of them. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> and they break all their bones in pieces or even they came at the bottom of the den. Or ever. I should, let, let me read that again. And the lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. In other words, before they even touched the bottom of the den, they were already comida. And then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that's uh, really a problem here, but this is what he wrote anyway. And the Lord allowed it to be in the text of Scripture. He says, I make a decree that every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. There's a good reason in, in essence why, even though it's not him making the decree that matters, but if we follow along in the picture of the judgment that comes upon those who have disobeyed God and those who have, who, who have, who have rejected the God of Israel and the God of Daniel, the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we saw that picture of the previous verses that talked about the, the judgment of not only them but their children and their wives and all as a picture of the, of the coming judgment, then when God has finished judging the world, when, when the Lord Jesus has finished bringing, executing judgment upon the world, then there comes the one true decree, there's only one God and one true kingdom, and that's the kingdom of God. I make a decree that every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever, and his kingdom that which... In his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed in his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Spared from the fiery furnace, so too was Daniel spared from the mouth of these 
ferocious lions. And don't get the idea that these lions were old. Maybe they had lost some of or most of their teeth. And they were well fed. No. Understand this. They were bred for this task and were kept hungry, even near starving. So when someone was tossed into the pit, they were eaten up quickly. No leftovers. But the Lord was with Daniel and protected him. And Daniel rested in the fact, and so can we, that no matter how intense the trial is, no matter how intense the trial will become or can be, we can believe and we can trust in the Lord our God. Certainly, Daniel is, is the, here in this verse not mentioned by name. He, he is the person that is uh, referred to, who through faith, faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Through faith. As for the plotters, the judgment was immediate and complete, even to the destruction of their own families. And again, how complete will the Lord's judgment be when He comes to settle all accounts? The very same way. The God of justice will only judge those that are worthy of judgment. What are we worthy of? We're worthy of nothing. We're just as much worthy of judgment. But because we have trusted in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been granted mercy. Because we've been granted mercy, how we need never to take that mercy for granted. How precious that mercy is. Well, the book of Daniel follows a very familiar pattern. God's people stand firm in their convictions. God honors and protects them. And the testimony of God's work makes the ungodly see and tell of the greatness of God. Nebuchadnezzar and Darius so far. And it brought to, remind, uh, brought to my memory and my heart's uh, memory, Matthew chapter 5. I've been referring to it on Sunday morning, but, but let, me, let me read it to you. Verses 13 through 16 where, where Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. You are the salt of the earth. You are an influence as believers in Jesus Christ. You are the flavor that the world is missing. You are the preservative because salt in its most uh, 
basic sense of that time was to preserve. Preserve meats, preserve food. But it was also to give flavor. Salt is an influence. We are to be an influence. Jesus goes on to say, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's Daniel here. That's the three Hebrew young men. And that's us. Who truly believe and truly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what we face in this life. No matter what kind of persecution we might have to endure. All we have to do is turn the TV on and realize we have brothers and sisters in other parts of the world that are needing to endure much more than we do. Which would cause us to get on our knees and pray for them more and more. Jesus never said we wouldn't go through persecution when we, when we make the distinctions between persecution and tribulation, for example, in prophetic terms, it's a tremendously different thing. The church has been persecuted for 2,000 years. Why do we forget that? That only makes the understanding of judgment that is yet to come an even greater thing. Daniel was pulled out of the lion's den. Because the judgment in the lion's den was about to get pretty rabid. And it did. Do we see the picture now of why we consider throughout the scriptures the importance of the gathering together of the church out of this world? when that judgment comes. It's an even better picture now. So we get to chapter 7 and we will be dealing with, we kind of go back a step or two uh, chronologically, but uh, for good reason. And we'll talk about that next week as we get into the prophetic themes of chapter 7 and following. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity this evening to once again, study your word and once again be blessed by the encouragement of trusting in you, Lord God, for all things, especially, Lord, for your, your hands of protection upon us, Lord, in the midst of our, uh, of our uh, struggles and in the sense of, of standing firm upon your truth and, uh, and upon your word. And tonight we, we are we're thankful, Father, for the, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We're thankful, Father, for the gifts that you have poured out through your Holy Spirit for us, Lord God, to be able to appreciate more and more, Lord God, how, how, how precious uh, we are uh, to, to, to follow you, how precious it is to, to be one of your own children, how precious it is to be one of your servants, and how important it is for us to be faithful in doing those things. 
I pray, Father, that in, you, in your spirit, Lord, tonight you will, you will truly address to our own hearts, Lord, that those areas in our, our lives that we need to lay before you and say, Lord God, cleanse us of those things that are keeping us from being faithful in your word, being faithful in, in, in serving you, Lord. And set us free from those things, Father, so that we can be free to, uh, to be as Daniel was, one who, 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 who dared, Lord God, to stand in the face of, of, of opposition and stay faithful to the things that you have commanded us to do. And Father, I pray that through your Spirit you'll continue to teach us this until the day of Jesus Christ, that day when you come to gather us unto yourself, so that where you are, there we will be also. In Jesus' name, amen.